everybody wants to be a part of the culture until it's time to be diverse equitable and inclusive so we're having the uncomfortable conversations needed to spark the change right here right now we're your hosts Ty Devereaux Lawson and I'm Simeon Coker and we say all the things you wouldn't welcome back to the mixed company podcast figure out how to get rid of this background but while i do that i'll open it up for another episode of mixed company podcast it's been a lot simeon it's been a lot it's been a lot this last month yeah the world's on fire and uh but we've been doing dope shit so that's cool ironically Mm -hmm. enough since the last time we spoke (laughs) the world literally specifically the east coast of uh north america um has been on fire um so while we took a month off from the podcast we didn't take a month off from work a lot a lot a lot a lot has happened um Simeon good to see you're alive and breathing bro yes I mean you know it is I do what I can you know but we've been he's, he, he's breathing through a k95 mask in New York though. <laughs> okay that, that's listen that's how we survive it we are we are officially masked on shout out to future um, if you live in the Northeast, in particular in New York, we are masked on. So, I mean, you brought a guest with us. So, so it looks like this is the running theme for this year. We've got all the guests, all the homies are coming to kick it with us. Why don't you introduce who we've got on the show with us today? Yeah. So a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to uh, Rick from Branded, Story and to, uh, Branded Storytelling. And he was like, you need to speak to this dude, Eternal Polk. And I was like, you know, anybody with the name Eternal gets uh, <laughs> can get on the call. <laughs> so we did get on the call. And I was like, this dude is dope. And the work that he was doing was also um, just amazing. So I was like, we need to have him on the podcast. So I like to give people their flowers. So I'm going to read this dude's bio. Eternal Polk is a two-time Emmy-nominated director, writer, and segment producer with over 20 years of directing short and long-form projects, including documentaries, music videos, branded content, and commercials. Uh, Eternal served as a creative director, participating in ideation and copywriting of client commercial and branded content spots while earning Telly, Webby, Shorty, and Uma awards. His work has been featured on HBO, Fox, ESPN, ABC, BET, VH1, and MTV, Gaining Ground, The Fight for Black Land is his first feature film as a director and executive producer. The man has done a lot. And uh, also two-time Emmy-nominated director, Flex. Let's talk about it. I'm about to say, it's a whole, the whole bio is a Flex. Welcome, Eternal Folk. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. I did a couple of teams. Small teams, small teams. Ting on ting, just a couple of ting on ting. Yes. <laughs> we love to hear it and we Thank love you. to celebrate it. And we appreciate Thank you for having me. us today. Mm-hmm. Well, so wait, before we get into to going in depth about you, your feature and everything you got going on, I promised you, you were going to have a moment to talk a little bit of shit. Um, so let's <laughs> open up the show with our favorite part where we get to talk our shit it's dope shit and it's ain't shit. And a lot has happened <laughs> in the last six weeks, I think, since we last recorded. Um, Simeon, if you don't mind, I'll kick off Let's with do it. my dope shit. Um, so for those of you that know, some of you that don't know, Simeon and I had the luxury, the privilege, the honor, and also the fuckery of going to the <laughs> annual Canline Creativity Festival festival that happens in the south of France, the Côte du Jour. Um, where all of the the highest of profiles of creatives, partiers, 
and and entertainers head to the south of France to celebrate um, the work that we do on a day-to-day -day basis in the marketing, advertising, creative space. Um, and so with that, whatever you're judging in your in your head is probably true, um, but there were some good spotlights. And so rather for me to go into detail about all of the shit I saw, I do want to give um, a shout out to, a, to a, a piece of work that I actually was taken aback with that I saw during the Canline Creativity Festival. And so for those of you that fuck with Disney, um, or have ever watched Disney or have believed yourself to be a Disney princess, shout out to me. Um, I was a huge fan of Pocahontas, the movie, um, as a child until I became of, of, you know, appropriate reading age to learn deeper about our American history um, to, to where I learned that that was complete folklore. Um, but there was an amazing uh, team of folks who actually worked to rewrite the script and the score for Pocahontas um, oh. as, a, as a submission for a Can Lion Award this year. And what they did, y'all, was absolutely amazing. They rewrote the script through the lens of Indigenous people. And so telling the story, sharing the narrative, the nuances in a way that they saw it. And I promise you, it was not a love story uh, between um, John Smith and, and a grown Pocahontas. It was actually through the lens of a young, very young indigenous girl. And I emphasize the the words girl, because this is a, this is, you know, think of your little cousin, think of your baby sister. This is what we're talking about. Uh, we're grown uh, European men took advantage of her, her, her land, her people, her livelihood, um, and, and coveted it for themselves. In addition to, I'm sure the, the raping and the pillaging that goes along with the early American story. And so I think it's so important for all of us to retell the stories that we can to make sure that we, uh, put out there the the side of the story that comes from the heart that comes from the actual experience not the mythology that we put into the world even though sometimes that's cute too um and so it was nice to see uh that film and and I'll make sure I send the link to Simeon to post um in the comments on social but it was nice to see that kind of work be celebrated and also to center the narrative of our indigenous communities uh, within the United States and not just um, what we read in fourth grade history. Um, shout out to Mrs. Hurley. She did what she could with what she had. <laughs> which, uh, which was brand what was that? Which brand produced that? That's how I know you wasn't listening because I said I forgot. Uh. <laughs> I said I forgot and I'm going to send you the link because I'm going to look it up um, on the Can Lion site because it was actually beautiful work. Um, so I wrote the note for myself not to forget, but of course I forgot who worked on it. So we'll make sure we give credit where credit is due. All good. I was, I was half listening because I was getting my ancient together. Uh, I already know. <laughs> so uh, if you've been paying attention to the news over the last couple of weeks, uh, then you know that the Supreme Court struck down affirmative action in college admission, declaring that race can no longer be a factor in granting admission. So we are slowly be turning into the Handmaid's Tale uh, because for the last couple of months uh, or last year or so, um, this is like the next strike, I guess, in progressive uh, things that we've worked on in this country over the last couple of years from abortion and now this. Um, and so I just think that this is like peak, not shit or ain't shit. Um, things that are happening in this country 
And if you're not paying attention, if you're not speaking about this, then you don't understand how this is going to trickle down into other facets of life when it comes to employment. Um, and this is this has to do with the stuff that we talk about on this podcast, which is diversity, equity, and inclusion. So the Supreme Court, uh, once again, is getting our ain't shit because they continue, well, the six justices continue to be not shit as far as I'm concerned. And, and, and. I mean, there's nothing else to say. I feel like I feel like they drop decisions like Jay-Z used to drop number one summer hits. Every summer is a new album of changes. Um, and all I can say is hide your kids, hide your wives, hide all of your rights. Because you you, you Antoine, that. you Antoine yeah, right listen, now. Listen, listen, you gotta give credit where it's due. That's like that's what I said. But you know, last year it was Roe versus Wade and a woman's, uh, you know, autonomy of her body and decision making in that area. This year it's affirmative action, which, yes, is specifically in the in the in the education realm. But when you look at that, that expands to profession. And that that means that any other precedent that was set after education is going to be overturned eventually as well. Um, and what's next? I mean, the 14th Amendment seems to keep coming up like the more ridiculous it sounds, I think the 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 deeper they lean into it. So, you know, we just got to enjoy whatever rights we have left and and continue to fight the power, I guess. And also in the professional realm, I don't have all of the details in front of me, but there was also that case with the, uh, I believe, graphic designer who uh, went to the Supreme Court to yep, in discriminate. So it's it's going to be trickling down over the next couple of of years, um, as long as the Supreme Court is in effect. Um, yeah, I feel like we're we're slowly entering the Handmaid's Tale. Uh, and keep saying slowly, the Handmaid's Tale was hot like two years ago. Like this feels quite rapid to me. Yeah, but until we have to like really leave this country um, to stay alive, then you know we're we're slowly entering into. Haven't the- you been working on your citizenship? Like I just feel I like. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, so he's he's trying to keep it. He, he's the character in the movie that knows the shit's about to happen, <laughs> so he's quietly getting his stuff together. Talking about slowly, he only says while, while only reassuring says- the public. Oh, oh, it's, it's ten years off. He's That's like. Crazy. He's only saying slowly so he doesn't have to wait in line to get his paperwork. That's there it. you go. There you go. Listen, what, what did Jigga say? Uh, two passports, I ain't never going to jail. I ain't never going to jail. <laughs> there you go. My uh, guy. Because they will they will put you in jail for being Black if they could, I feel like, at this point. Mm. There's so many different uh, ways to say being Black. And so here we are. Eternal mm-hmm. Pope, what about you? What's happening in your ethos your community, your network, anything really dope we should know about or anybody we should be cussing out in our heads as we, uh, you know, as we enter this week. Okay, let's see. So we want to talk about ain't shit or dope shit. Which one do you want me to hear first? If you got both, we're we're here for the dope. Oh, okay. Okay. So let me, let me, let me just say ain't shit, the end of the George Floyd economy. These folks, I had to say it. You know I had to say it. You know where we at. The the fact that these folks really played that game with us, (laughs) like all that money, all this effort, and all this other stuff, and you can count on one hand the people that's actually sticking to it. And us just, I don't know. 
I don't know any black person that didn't know that this stuff was going to come to an end. I don't. <laughs> but <clears throat> but here we are, and and you just can look at all of these people who are just like waffling with them trying to uh, to be down. I don't want to even use the word woke because that's another ancient thing. The way they just took and like read that's another way to that. say black. That's another yeah, way to exactly say exactly for being too woke. <laughs> yes. Oh, um, the the way these folks are just trying to uh, uh, you can see them trying to be down and just see how when they're just like, mm, nah, we ain't gonna do that. And they just show their hand how they were really just about monetizing trauma. Mm. That's all they were doing. They were like monetizing trauma. And I feel bad for the people who actually believed it was going to happen, that it was going, it was going to be sustained and it was going to be changed because I was just like, I was like that old black man in a rocket chair on the porch, like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> look at this. I know what's going on. <laughs> so <clears throat> that's the ain't shit. The end of the George Floyd economy. I hate it. Adding uh, the George Floyd economy to the lexicon because that is the best way I've to describe. Never heard that, but that was beautifully, beautifully articulated. I, like, yes. I, yeah, because that's what it was. I have to give credit. I have to give credit to the to the to the first person that I heard say it that way. That's my man Dio Harewood, who is a uh, he's a he's a VP over at uh, Paramount, I believe Paramount you know, doing some things over there. Brother I went to school with, NYU, shout out to them, even though they were part of my pain and trauma too. Uh, so, but- everything, go, go everything has its place. There you go. You know, if, if not for them, <laughs> I would not be here now. Um, but dope shit across the Spider-Verse. Yes, 100%. Oh. 100%. Across the Spider-Verse is some of the best work that I've seen in film in the last couple of years. Mm. And I, I give it a 12 out of 10, number one. Oh, number two, I feel like this is going to be, that, that film is going to be this generation's Akira. Or as some of those folks who know that are pronounced it, Akira, <laughs> you know. It's going to be this generation's um, version of that. It is such, they do s so many amazing things with, 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 with animation um, to communicate beyond just the, the physical world, but to communicate ideas, feelings, and thoughts, distortion of time and, 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 and location. It was just, it was masterful. The, 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 the pop culture references, the, the character development, um, the uh, the storytelling, the the plot twist were just like, you know, when you get so enwrapped in something that you, you don't you don't see what's obviously coming because you're so deep in it, and then when it happens, Good you're storytelling. like, damn, how did I not see that coming? It they did it so well, and at some point, I'm looking at this film. And and I'm noting how long it's going on. I'm like, man, are they going to do that thing that movies do where they where, where they spend so much time on exposition and character development? They only got uh, ten minutes to wrap it up, and and then they sort of hurry up and, and and tie up all these loose ends. And then they didn't do that, and I was like, oh, okay. And when I was in the theater, 
I went to see a 4DX and when we got to this 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 moment in the film, I don't want to give it away. Everyone, there was a collective gasp in the mm-hmm. entire theater, followed by "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I said, "Now that is storytelling when you are so deeply immersed in it that you just forget time and space." And that was a two hour and 20 minute film that felt like it was about an hour and 10 minutes. And I was just like, it felt like it was half the time. So I have to say for all of the reasons mentioned and probably some of the Easter eggs that I did not see. And now I need to go look up the whole Easter egg thing of it. um, I give it a 12 out of 10. It's the best film and the best movie going experience that I've had in the last, what, five, six years. Oh, no. I'm literally pulling up to like buy my ticket right now. I completely forgot about that. I need to go. So I haven't seen it, but I want you to know that I've heard nothing but consistent reviews. My uh, my intern, actually, um, I have heard do a, a, a version of dope shit ain't shit but appropriately titled for the workplace and this is she did a whole basic dissertation on the film pointing out everything you pointed out from the cultural references that were on point to the time and space to acknowledgement of culture um so i'm excited to see it um and and now you got folks spending their money quicker than they probably wanted to 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 go see it right right now so thank you (laughs) hey i'm just saying i ain't gonna steer you wrong no, I might not tell you what's right, but I ain't gonna tell you what's wrong. I know that's right. Can, can I get a can I get an amen, somebody? But speaking about amen and somebodies and people and steering us wrong and right, but mostly right, Eternal Pope, I want to talk about you. We brought you to the show to hear more about your creativity and what you're bringing to the table. Mm. Um, for those of you that are probably looking at this on TikTok, you can see the dope ass visuals in the background. So we already can see visually that you know what it is when it comes to creativity, but I'd love to get a sense from you and from Simeon, like how did y'all get together? And what, what are we gonna talk about today? Let's jump into that. Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, uh, Rick from Branded Storytelling connected us because Eternal worked on this amazing film that's starting to rack up a lot of awards called uh, Gaining Ground, The Fight for Black Land. And I'll let you dive a little bit deeper into it, but when he started talking about it, uh, this film deals with Hare's um, property. Uh, it made me think about what's been happening in Brooklyn and, and Black communities around the country where Black families um, who don't have wills in place, who don't have lawyers and et cetera, are losing their lands due to this loophole. Um, and so I thought it'd be one, dope to talk about this on the podcast because I think it'll be educating people, especially a lot of our uh, listeners, but then also from the standpoint of this being a brand produced film and talking about what that process is like for people within advertising who are looking to do uh, longer form content. But I'll throw it over to you, um, Eternal, to dive a little bit deeper into what uh, Gaining Ground, the Fight for Black Land is about. Well, essentially, it's about a very common issue that's not widely known. And I was so surprised to hear about this thing um, called heirs property 
and how it was being used to take um, upwards of, I want to say, 16, 14 to 16 million acres of land from Black folks. And it's just agricultural land. This is not the coastland when we're talking about like Bruce's Beach and um, in um, California or the <clears throat> the coastline of the, the Carolinas and such. This is just agricultural land. And we've lost about 14 to 16 million acres of land mm -hmm. through this little thing called heirs property. So the film covers the um, how we got here, what was, <clears throat> you know, how did we get this much land to begin with? What were the situations and conditions? And then some of the issues that have, um, or some of the tactics that have been used to take land from Black folks, because this certainly isn't the only one. This is just the the most, I sort of, I feel like it's, the, it's all of them are, are egregious, but this one is particularly so because it really does prey on the ignorance or the lack of resources that we have in our community to take a vast um, resource that has generational effect. Mm -hmm. and, and, and then finally, at the end of the film, we do provide solutions and, and information so people can, um, can preserve their um, land and um, preserve what, what, what I call the legacy of their family. I mean, I know you mentioned the millions of acres that have been taken, but to contextualize it um, on the website, it talks about the year, the few decades after the end of enslavement, uh, Black Americans were able to amass millions of acres of land. But since then, 90% of that land is no longer in Black hands, which is a wild ass number, right? So we talk about uh, generational wealth, we talk about, you know, economic mobility, especially within industries like ours. And to see that number that we only have like 10% of what we amassed after the years of slavery. That's that shit is wild. <laughs> like there's there's really no other way to say, it, but the shit is wild. Well, you know, the craziest thing is that I when I thought about it, I said, if I gave you the if I gave you a set of numbers and told you, like, you know, uh, what was that show where you would have to mix up the, the thing? Oh no, it's like Soul Train. Remember when you had to 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 figure out what the what the, what they were saying on the on the Soul Train board. So yeah, if absolutely. I gave you if I gave you these figures and I said, well, we'll pick which column they would belong in to um, 1910 or 2010. I'm pretty sure if I told you that we had 20 million acres of land, you would be like, oh, 2010 easily, <laughs> not 1910, like 50 years outside of slavery. Uh, but it's not the case. And if I told you that. Uh, when did we have 1 million farmers and when did we have 14,000 farmers? You probably would say, oh, we got way more farmers now because, you know, you got access to capital, land, equipment, all the other stuff. But we actually had way, way more, but um, like within 50 years of the end of slavery. And honestly, we had a lot of land right in the, um, in the five to 10 year period right after um, slavery ended, we had gotten a lot of land because the free labor made it, um, that was no longer there, made it impossible for these um, landowners who were, who, were, uh, who were also slave owners to maintain that property and maintain the taxes. Um, and so they could not care for the property. So they had to, in some instances, give it up or they would make these little shady deals called sharecropping yep. where they would have the uh, Black folks 
or or tenant or tenant farm leasing where they would have black folks working the land paying them like small amounts of money and then they would eventually get the land or they just outright where we're not able to take care of it themselves and they were able to get it um one of the people in our film um the haney family <clears throat> they got their first parcel of land in 1867 hmm. so well we know 1865 is when when the emancipation was 1867 was when juneteenth was so in that time frame, they had already gotten um, a, a parcel of land, which they maintained in their family five generations later. And I met a number of five generation and four generation farmers and landowners through the course of this. So the numbers are wild, but when you talk about the land <clears throat> at 20 million acres and you talk about the farmers at 1 million, the number that really kind of pops is that 326 billion, which was what was lost. Conservative es estimate, 326 billion. And that's not in counting the coastal regions or urban situations where you lose homes or as in Katrina, where you lose a home. It doesn't count that, it just counts agricultural land. So that's 326 billion right there. We're not talking about eminent domain. Wow. Stuff like that. So when you look at 326 billion, you say, hey man, look, if we just took 326 billion and, and, and divided amongst, you know, us as, as black folks in America, that's a nice little number. Hmm. It's a nice it's little not, number too. It's not only an it's not only a nice little number, but it it, it represents the uh, the it represents the amount of wealth that had that has actually been held a, away from us, back from us, that has actually been hidden from people. You know, it's it's interesting that we have you on the show and we're having this conversation a month after Juneteenth and a, a, a week at or two. I don't know what day it is at this point, but a week or two after July 4th, because the question in my head becomes what's more American than taking land? Mm -hmm if you will, and coveting it for yourself. Um, mm -hmm. Because that is, you know, when we talk about, um, when we talk about our our white communities and how they amassed wealth and, and how they, you know, things that you don't have to worry about, a house, it's easy to, to get a, it's easier to get a house. It's easier to have land and they pass these things down. And the conversations, particularly as we talk about affirmative action and, and giving people access to education and just access to wealth, we talk about this thing as though, you know, like just go and get it. Like you can just go and get it. But we, but a lot of people can't, particularly native African-Americans in the United States who there is no foundation. There is no um, reserve of, of, of wealth or very little wealth in a reserve because there were proactive, very deliberate schemes, scams, and buckery that was done to hijack what could have built a higher class in America of black peoples and that's a that's in you know I would extend that out to those of us that are even first generation American because as our families come into the United States we are kind of bucketed into the treatment and the trials and tribulations of those folks who really don't have and so you know as I think about this this topic is so interesting to me with Apple's, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon is out on Apple TV right now talking about a similar situation. How did you become interested in this topic and what kind of motivated you to, to bring it to life in this film? 
Well, um, honestly, this the film itself came to me, but the but the the idea of um, and my interest in farmers and us getting back to the land was sort of something, a convergence of, of a, a few different things. One, being in New York for 27 years, I was getting tired of the, <clears throat> the trash, the rats, the traffic, the people, the buildings. I was getting tired of all, <laughs> anything New York. It was like, a, it was like a, a, a bad relationship where, you know, anything you do, is you know on my is working my nerves so new york was working my nerves um and, and becoming the 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 omnipresent trigger in my life every time i turned around i was just like upset and also um then you know that sort of was started to, put, to plant the idea pun intended of you know getting back to spaces and land and and all this other stuff and and I'm going to just nerd out a little bit. I've always been like a Lord of the Rings fan. So every time I was in the woods, I would always imagine that I was in one of those books. And so this was sort of my retreat from reality, going into the woods and things of that nature and in mountains. And um, so, you know, it was sort of that was growing in me more and more. And especially as you know, you kind of get outside of New York City and and go into like like upstate for us is like a <laughs> past Westchester but when you get out of New York and you start like, oh, wow, there is like land and there's peace and there's quiet. And so the pandemic comes and then everyone starts like, hey, we got to get out of the, the city. And I, I had during the pandemic, I was on a thread of black men and a couple of them had farmland. And they had mentioned that they had hundreds of acres of farmland that was in their family since like the late 1800s which kind of blew my mind because I was like, wait a minute, the late 1800s, like we had land like that. Cause I'm like, well, slightly just in there. How we, you know, I, I, I'm, my mind was sort of like, we're trying to get out the South. We're trying to, you know, do all this other stuff. We're not over here amassing farmland and that little in a couple hundred acres is not a, a, even much compared to what was actually what people were holding like 2000 acres and 4,000 acres um in some instances back then and when i was at this uh, um um i was doing a lot of work with this with this uh marketing company that was working a lot with um bt and when the when the george ford economy started all of them were like oh what can we do what can we do what can we do what can we do and i was like promote black farmers mentor black farmers and and I wasn't just like, hey, let's give them money. I was like, look, let's partner this farm with like a a, a, a restaurant chain, like Burger King, McDonald's, something. And you kind of mentioned them from the field to the table, like supply chain, distribution, how to get your your produce into these places. So I was like thinking along sustainable things that have long lasting impact and not just say, Hey, and even though some some um some farmers need a check more than they need anything advice, um, I wanted though I wanted to create these long lasting things. And needless to say, that did not happen. But my mind was set on how I could promote um, black farmers. And then a former colleague of mine uh, from NFL Films, who's now working at Al Roker Entertainment, um reached out to me about another project and told me about this project. 
And so here's the here's where we get the power of manifestation. Every time we got on the phone, I kept saying to her, I would love to direct that project. It's such a great project to direct. I would love to direct it. And he had another director in mind. And every time we spoke, I brought this up. How's it going? Did you get it locked in? I would love to direct. And then a couple of months later, I get a phone call at like nine in the morning. I literally was asleep. <laughs> she said, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm asleep. What's up? She's like, I got some work for you. Get up. And um, and I said, okay, cool. She said, uh, remember that that farming documentary? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, how would you like to direct that? And I'm like, the one that I kept bringing up to you every time we spoke? Yes. Okay, you got an hour. We pitched, we, we meet the client, the client needs to meet the director. And so, uh, and so an hour later, I was on a call with, uh, with the team from John Deere and the team from Al Roker. And I was pitching to them what I thought the story was. And um, that's how it came together. It really came to me, um, but I was so um, passionate about this idea of us getting back to the land and us, and, and us, highlighting black uh farmers and and farming as a as an option or a road for us economically and just having land you know in our family i was so passionate about that i feel like i kind of called it to me so that's how it happened it was like it was it was not of my own doing but i had a part in it i i think that's dope too because going back to your manifesting uh point it kind of sounds like it started from the group thread that you had with the black men where you started getting interested in them having farmland so to get from there to actually like directing this film about preserving the farmland amongst black communities feels like that's where like the nugget started and then it bloomed into what we have in front of us right now and, and you know, also, you know, when we were talking, like during <clears throat> during that the protest, the conversation was about generational wealth. The conversation was about us having power, and a lot of um, a lot of our laws in this land are, are centered around land, land ownership, and and so, you know, at one point, having land was the way you could vote. Mm. So. <clears throat> So, you know, um, us getting back to that for, from, from that perspective was, was like clear and present conversation. Like, you know, I know we were talking about a lot of other things, but I thought something that was more sustainable and had a lot of, of room for us in, in terms of how we could use and leverage it was actually owning land. And, you know, the pandemic taught us you need to learn how to grow stuff and cook stuff and and fend for yourself because because when those supply chains get interrupted, you know, how you gonna get your food if the bodega is closed and they don't have food? Like, and there were plenty of people that were like, yo, I'm going to learn how to grow stuff. And I think it was just, you know, the the puns are just, you know, all around, but the the the, the ground was fertile for <laughs> for this kind of thing. To, to, to really be the topic of conversation. And I was surprised, honestly, I was surprised that it wasn't. Mm -hmm. I was surprised that of all the things that we could talk about that land wasn't one of them. And now considering all the different things that we've talked about previously, I can see why land wasn't one of those things because 
You don't want to get people thinking a revolutionary act is to purchase 10 acres of land. Mm. And you don't want to get them thinking that, hey, if if um, if they don't want to live in the city anymore and pay these exorbitant rents and basically deplete all of their income, that you might want to think about getting some land and and you can grow an acre of land, an acre of uh, garlic can yield you forty thousand mm. dollars, like one acre, forty thousand wow. dollars. You know. You don't want to get people thinking like that. And, you know, I hate to get on my old black man conspiratorial tip, but the fact that when we were pushing all these solutions and none of them were like, okay, we need to get land and we, we need to start getting together and buy land. And there were some groups that were doing that. Um, but overall, that wasn't the conversation. It was about more access to, you know, the structures that were already there. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's surprising that this wasn't on more people's minds and more people's conversation to actually implement purchasing, growing and being sustainable for ourselves. And I think the, 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 the sad part about it, but what I love about you and the team of production of, of filmmaking, uh, contributors doing with this film is really putting Black folks in the light of ownership and I think that that's what's missing from the narrative that's why at the start of the pandemic there were all conversations about food deserts and insecurities and you know having land like if we look at how what a lot of people did during the pandemic self-included we we left the the confines of you know urban development to go out and find a place for fresh air find a space where you can grow vegetation whether that's for aesthetics or for sustenance and so I I love that you're putting this on front street I love that you're amplifying these challenges um because in this country being an owner is what is coveted but we don't necessarily look at black folks as already having um uh an introduction and induction into that space since the um uh, reconstruction era a lot of uh, we gained a lot of rights and a lot of land and a lot of wealth during that time and quite similarly to what we are seeing today um, as Simeon would say slowly but surely uh, we <laughs> see some of these um, re regressions in advances taking place that we had gained after a lot of that was lost during reconstruction so you know what and that's really key with what you're saying about what's happening right now how much we we gained and lost. And then if you think about things like um, abortion rights and affirmative action, a lot of us are thinking like, we thought that was some old shit. We, we not, we're trying to get the new shit now. We, 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 not, we didn't think that those would be things that we would be talking about again. But now it's like going right back to zero to battle the things that have already been fought. And when you look at it, um, um, when you look at land ownership and when you look at just ownership, man, when I was doing the research, you know what bugged me out? I was looking at, I was looking at this old footage from the Library of Congress. There was a brother who um he was a pastor and and somehow he got hold of a, a camera, like a film camera. And he was filming everyday life, everyday black life. <clears throat> One of the people, first of all, all the people were clean as the Board of Health. It was so many people that was just like clean dressed like you know whatever but he, there was one guy that had two oil wells and i was just like wait a minute hold on 
this is this is when the camera first started you know this is back in birth of a nation camera it was, was this was that camera and i'm seeing black folks owning owning oil wells in the early 1900s and i'm like first of all just our just our sort of like you know resilience to you know come through this era of slavery and then be like oh you know i need a real ass break <laughs> you know we collectively generationally we need a break they were like no we get into business and to have a to have multiple oil wells you couldn't have told me that like right off the bat that that's what's happening i would have to google it you know as they say let me google let me google verify this um but it just goes to show how much how much we don't know about what we've actually accomplished and done. And also how much we don't know about what has been done to us. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you, you know, so when you take a, when you take away some oil, um, some oil fields, that's one thing, you know, you take away, you know, economic ability and, 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 and mobility and, you know, money makes money. So you take money away, then you take away a person's ability to make more money, but then, you know, that's one aspect of it. But one of the towns that we went to film in, you do a, a basic search on the town, you found out there was a massacre of 200 Black folks centered around voting rights. What are we fighting for right now? Voting, voting rights in all of these states. So you talk about... Um, a woman's right to choose, affirmative action, voting rights. This is all stuff that was a hundred years ago, almost, that we were dealing with, and now we're we're dealing with that same thing. So this this story is just basically the 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 I guess the full circle coming back to the stuff that we were dealing with before, fighting for our uh, humanity and our autonomy and our agency. Mm. Uh, I want to shift a little bit because you, we start off talking about the George Floyd economy and there were a lot of brands that um, made these grand pictures <laughs> during that time. Um, and I ain't going to lie, like when I hear John Deere, I think conservative, I think very much like not down for progression or social progression, um, but they are the leaders for this film. So like, how did that come to to be like, why are they the ones that are pushing for this film? Like, what are their receipts? Because I think that was a big part of like the George Floyd economy where we saw brands mm-hmm. making pictures, mm-hmm. but they didn't have the receipts to back it up. So the things that they were doing weren't sustainable. So how were they involved in this film? Well, you know, it's crazy because I felt the same way. I was like, John Deere, like, first of all, I didn't think any black people worked there. I'm just being honest. And when I got on the call, it was it was black. It was um, um, a black woman. It was two black women and one Latina. And you know, you know how that could be. You know, we're gonna we're gonna bring our black folks and put them on the call or whatever. But you know, they they started this program called the Leap Coalition. And uh, um, the Leap Coalition was a um, a coalition of organizations that were already doing the work to help people with heirs property. So it was uh, Thurgood Marshall College Fund um, the and the Federation of Southern Cooperatives and the National Black Growers Council. So, you know, 
the 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 idea was that we need to help these people um but we need to support the people who are already doing the work now where did that the impetus for this come from within the within the halls of john deere this is why representation is important there's a brother he was the number three guy chief administrative officer there um almost every person of color that's in john deere now you can almost trace back to him being hired and him having a focus and emphasis and bringing a um, diversity into their workforce. John Deere itself has been, you know, noted to be an abolitionist, like the founder of the company. And their brand storytelling thing they did years ago, they, they started this thing called the furrow, um, which was basically the stories of farmers. So they were kind of in the storytelling world already. There's this, this through line of abolition in the owner's you know, who, the founder of the um, of the company. And then you have this person, um, Mark House, who who um, who had heirs property in his own family. And when they were trying to figure it out, like, OK, what do we do? What is our response? It was like, you know, we're not going to give we're not just going to give money to the NAACP and then wash our hands and walk away. And it was because of his leadership and vision, he was like, no, we're going to make something sustainable that has economic impact. And where can we fit into that space that is in alignment with what we do? And they are in the farming and agricultural space. And heirs' property was the biggest issue affecting Black landowners. And so they just said, we're going to pull these groups of people together, these organizations together to tackle this. And so um that's how they you know that's how they came to it it was very much so they had someone in the organization who was sensitive to the issue because it was in his family and also it just happened to be the issue that was the, the biggest plague in terms of black land ownership and retaining land ownership in in america and actually anywhere there are black people who have land so this is not just an american problem it's a South American problem. It's an African problem. It's anywhere Black folks have land, you're going to have this issue of their land being taken away from them. Dope. All right. So you've been racking up awards over the last couple of weeks. Uh, you were down at Essence Fest a couple of weeks ago. You won an award. You won, uh, I think the other one was the Film Teeth Award. Yes, uh, yes. Where are you showing up next with this film? Where else is it screening? Well, um, we're going to be screening next, and I can't wait, is the Black Star Film Festival in Philadelphia. And, you know, I hope they're listening or the people who are listening, because I'm just going to say it out of all of the festivals that we have been dealing with, they are the tightest. They run a tight ship. They got everything on point. They communicate. They you know, they're producing like the materials that you need to promote yourself for being in their festival. Like they have everything on point and I can't wait to um, go to their festival. And then, but I have a string of them back to back. So the fourth, I'll be in Philly at the Black Star Film Festival. Uh, August 4th, right? August 4th, August 4th, the Black Star Film Festival in Philly. August 5th, the Indianapolis Black Documentary Film Festival. Uh, and that is because Indianapolis is my hometown and I had to bring this to where, where I'm from. And then we go to Martha's Vineyard, August 6th. So the 4th, the 5th, and the 6th 
I'll be going from one festival to another. And, uh, and then hanging out in the, at the Martha's Vineyard, Martha, Lord have mercy, Martha's Vineyard African-American Film Festival. That's I'll right. be hanging out there for a couple of days. Yes. So that's what's going on with the film um, over the next. And we're waiting to hear from um, some um, some other festivals. We got some 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 things in, in the works, some some ones that will be really big. And I'll just say the ABFF was a great festival. And I believe it's iconic. I, I remember when that festival was starting. It was the, Al the Acapulco Black Film Festival. And um, and I always wanted to do that in the Essence Festival, iconic, um, a part of that. And I'll just say, and, and Martha's Vineyard is iconic. And there's a, a couple of other iconic situations that I'm waiting to see if they come to fruition. <laughs> and, and, and then the people in New York will be able to check it out. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to come back for that one. Yo, brother man, we appreciate you for stopping by, talking about this film. Where can the people find you? Because you, you do work in advertising. You you are a director. You... I'm about to say, first and foremost, supplier, <laughs> the supplier to diversity, uh, the supplier That's... diversity economy does not stop. Um, and so with that, how do folks hire you? How do they get to know you? How do they loop you in for engagement with our brands? Now, see, that's why we need to have we need to have a whole uh, podcast episode on that part. Oh, um, because <laughs> listen, I'm just gonna be real brief, um, um, but I'm gonna say this: that our, um, we're still black folks in this business, and we know how this business does. Is we can do excellent work, we can do amazing work, and people on the outside will see the the pictures and the festival and all this other stuff and they're like yo he's busy i am not and there's a reason for that and 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 I, we don't have to get into it but i'll definitely get into it but you can reach me at eternal poke um on all platforms and that's p-o-l-k not p-o-k-e ain't nobody with the last name poke p-o-k-e out here but eternal poke um dot com Instagram, Eternal Poke, LinkedIn, Eternal Poke, Twitter, Eternal Poke on all Instagram, I mean, on all socials, I'm Eternal Poke, and I am, um, and I am available for work. We're always available for work. Always. We're always available for work. The bag is always ready to be gotten. Stop the, stop the games, stop the games, and, and let's, let's, let's do, let's do what others won't. I'll put it that way. Let us do what others won't. Word. Saying the unsaid. Love it. <laughs> Y'all know where to find us. We are on all the platforms as Axmix Company. Reach out, questions, suggestions, all that good shit. And thank Yo. you for joining us. Y'all take care. This was dope. This was so fast. We got to do it again. <laughs>